welcome to the Swim Coach in Transit podcast. I am your host, Lucas Fejeda. In this episode, I sat down with Colin Ferris, who's the associate head coach for XL Aquatics, which operates in pools all over Middle Tennessee. Before I go any further on this intro, let me tell you that, for some reason I can't really figure out, the audio on my end of this interview is pretty bad for the first 40 minutes or so, when it miraculously just clears out. I couldn't figure out how to fix it, but the good news is that the important portion of the interview, which is Colin's audio, is good all the way through. So I hope you can bear with that old radio inside of a box sound for a while, since there's plenty of good stuff from him. Colin was scheduled to be the head coach for this year's Georgia Swimming Age Group Select Camp, which unfortunately got canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemics, which we also talk about in the beginning. Prior to Excel Aquatics, Colin worked multiple jobs while part-time coaching at the Lexington Dolphins in Kentucky. And before that, he was a 2012 Olympic Trials qualifier. But it's better if you hear that all from him. So. Here's another episode of the Swim Coaching Transit podcast with Colin Ferris. All right, so Colin, thank you for agreeing to take the time here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, we, we would uh, have you here down in Georgia in May, but unfortunately that's, uh, that's, down, that's off now. We're yes. going to be our uh, camp head coach, which is something, something else that we have to unfortunately cancel this year. But agree to at least have a chat so the first thing i'm doing now that we are in the and again if people listen to this in the distant future we are now in late april so still everybody or some states coming out of lockdown but yes. mostly everybody's still in some sort of lockdown and most things stop to a halt so the first thing i'm asking everybody is what have you guys been doing with your team during this time when you are uh, forced to be away from the pool yeah, so for us at Excel, what we've been doing is we took USA Swimming's guidelines of the virtual dry land and things like that. And so we've been doing that. So our 13 and overs have been going uh, three or four times a week for 30 minutes. And then our nine to 12 year olds have been going 25 minutes, two, three times a week. Um, and then what we've also been doing is we've been taking our eight and under, our 10 and our programming has been, uh, been sent out emails and stuff for like, fun little games and stuff like word searches and like where's Waldo kind of style stuff that our coaches have put together. And, but yeah, for the most part, we've been just trying to stay communicated with families and kids and, and been using Google Hangouts meets and uh, zoom meetings and stuff to be able to, to see them and talk to them. And, and we've been doing some fun stuff along those lines, but yeah, we've been just trying to try to stay engaged as much as we can. Yeah, I think that's the number one word that I hear is just trying to stay engaged with your team. And you guys are, so are you doing Google Hangouts or Zoom meetings even for the younger kids? Yeah, so um, for our dry land, we've been using, coaches are using either the Google Hangouts meet or Zoom. So it's just kind of dependent on what they enjoy using more. And, um, but yeah, we've been doing it where we're trying to stay in contact with them. At least we give them, you know, we've got so many time slots uh, that each coach is, working with eight, eight athletes at a time and watching and stuff. And so um, we've been doing that on top of sending emails and stuff like that and just trying to keep them engaged and trying to remind them kind of to stay active. So one thing that I'm also asking everybody is, is there anything that 
you were forced to start doing right now with your team that you're thinking that you might actually keep in the future? Yeah, um, I, I do think, I think the, the, the challenge, the challenge has become obviously to try to keep, keep them talking and keep kids 100%. You know, I, I think a lot of times when you're coaching kids, you've got your majority that obviously talk and say how they feel and stuff during practice. But for, uh, for everyone to start saying, hey, you know, talking more and, and being communicative and, and kind of making sure that they're being heard is, uh, is something that you definitely, that I'm definitely trying to push towards when talking to kids and making sure that kids are paying attention and stuff like that is, uh, is something that I'm definitely going to try to continue to do in the future and make sure that everybody is being heard. And are you doing that also with a small group? Are you doing that? What I'm, one of the things that I started doing, I also stole that idea. I'm sending one, once a week, sending a form for my kids with a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. And there's little technique stuff. Uh, usually I put some, some funny stuff in there, but I also try to ask some of those questions, like how, how's it going really? And, and is there anything that you really miss? And things like that. So I'm kind of, I really like that idea and I'm trying to do it right now via Google Forms that they can go and mm-hmm. do it. Do you have a platform that you're using or is it more just about making sure you're reaching out to every kid? Yeah, I, I haven't been doing anything as far as that, but I'm just really making sure that the kids that are being active in the dryland and stuff like that, we, I didn't want to try to set up a dryland schedule if not everybody's going to be able to do it at the same time frame and stuff like that. So the, the families and the kids specifically who aren't doing the dryland, I really am reaching out to them, sending them emails and saying, Hey, just want to make sure you're doing something to stay active. Like, Hey, what are you doing this week? What's going on? And then the kids who are participating in dryland, you know, spending a couple minutes beforehand, just listening to them and talking to them and seeing how they're doing. And then, you know, obviously spending a couple minutes afterwards when it's over, just, just being there and just making sure that everybody understands they can, you know, ask questions and, and talk and, you know, and stuff like that. So. So the last question I asked about the, the current, and I'm, again, I think we, probably are, might come back and forth in terms of what the way that this has impacted our ability to, to be some coaches and to do our job. But the last question I'm asking before I go into my usual slide of questions is, what do you miss the most right now? I definitely miss the interaction. Um, you know, I live, I live by myself. I have a dog, but, um, you know, in terms of realizing after the first week, realizing that I interacted with upwards of a hundred people a day at swim practice, sometimes over a hundred because our site, our main site has 250 kids at it um, registered. And so missing that was definitely the big thing of just be, having the ability to just talk to more than just my dog or talk to, you know, or just to like see real people, you know, I mean like zoom meetings are great and, you know, and Google hangouts are awesome and FaceTime with my parents is cool and all, but, um, but yeah, missing out on real, real human interaction has definitely been, been crazy for me. Yeah. So. Yeah, I can definitely, uh, fast to that. I have a couple of roommates I live with, so I haven't been completely alone, but they are yeah. somewhere else this week. And I spent, yeah, I guess yesterday was the first time. Like I, I saw my kids via zoom meetings and, and I, again, I, I do think that all this technology, the first time we did the zoom meetings was really great to have some sort of interaction with the kids again. And, but still, yesterday was, I guess, one of the first days that I, I have one of this, that I, I talked to people. I had to talk to a bunch of people online and, and this and that. 
but I did not see a human being in person. Right. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's really weird. I can't imagine what it's like for the entire month. <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, it's been interesting, to say the least. I've been working out a lot outside and I've <clears throat> been going to parks to walk around and stuff just to see other people and you know at a safe distance, obviously, and everything. Right. Like that. Right. But yeah. Definitely. Yeah. All right. So the first usual question that I would have for everybody is, it's not really a question, it's just for you to talk about your path in swimming uh, as an athlete and as a swim coach all the way up to your current position. What I always say is you can be as detailed or as succinct as, as you like. It's just about talking about what you think brought you from, from starting within the sport of swimming to where you are today. Yeah. Um, so I started swimming when I was 11, 12. I had a buddy of mine. He said that he was on swim team and he really liked it. And he said, I should join. And I said, okay. And so I showed up day one and he had quit. So, um, and my mom had already paid for the, the season and she said, okay, well, let's just give it a season and see if you like it or not. And we just, we're not going to quit just because, you know, we don't quit in the middle of anything. And I said, okay, fine. I had a couple other friends I didn't know were on the team that I went to school with. And so I was really lucky and met some new people and stuff like that. And it kind of just took off from there. Um, I was on a really small team growing up. I'm from a not so big, uh, not so big of a town. <clears throat> and so my swim team only had about 45 kids on it. And so uh, growing up, I was on this really small team. I was really enjoying, um, didn't really do a whole lot of relays and stuff. And um as I got older and as I was being recruited for college and I went to zones and, and went and went to big, big LSC meets and stuff like that, I really started to enjoy team aspect stuff. And so I went to UK, I went to the University of Kentucky and swam all four years and uh, really enjoyed my time there and qualified for Olympic trials while I was there in 2012. And that was obviously outside of my window of collegiate competitive uh, swimming. So it was more just to enjoy and have fun and kind of enjoy the ride and have that last splash and dash swimming to 53. That was pretty fun. And so uh, right when I stopped uh, swimming collegiately, I was teaching lessons and stuff, just trying to uh, at the local YMCA in Lexington, uh, just to kind of make some extra income. And I was lifeguarding some and stuff like that. And so I started coaching high school and YMCA. And I did that for about a year and a half, uh, continued to coach high school while I stayed in Lexington, uh, joined a club team, Lexington Dolphins, and was there for uh, four seasons four years and really enjoyed my time. And, and that was where I really saw how a full-time coach kind of operated. I had mentors in uh, Philip Shelton and, and Dave Doolin, where I got to see them coach every group and kind of see the broad spe spectrum of, okay, what I'm teaching at a senior kid level, I can apply to at an eight and under level. I just need to modify a little bit, but it's still the same basic ideas and stuff like that. And to kind of see the, the growth upwards was really big eye opener for me in terms of being able to work with every group, had my own, had my own couple lanes that I worked with every day and, and to have that communication was really key. I really enjoyed doing that. And then I uh, was approached by Stephen Murray at Excel Aquatics for a full-time position uh, working with their nine to 12 year olds uh, at the time when I first started. And I, decided, okay, I'll, I'll move further than an hour away from my mom and dad. I'll see if I can handle that. And um, it was fun. I, uh, I really enjoyed it. Met a lot of people. Um, I was, I was really, I was, I was by myself and I found, you know, I, I moved in. I, I, I came down, did swim evaluations. The day I came down, they were like, put kids on the team. I was like, okay. And so <laughs> I was, 
Um, I was literally, I was given a shirt and our, t our business administrator, she said, here's a shirt, start putting kids in your group. And I was like, all right. So I started, didn't know any, you know, history of the group, didn't know any history of kind of how it was. So I, I took the Lexington Dolphins approach of like, you can swim, let's go. You're on the team. You're in my group. Let's go. And so I had about, I think maybe 50 kids in my group and I had four lanes. So I had to, <laughs> I had to try to figure out what was going on and, and, and understand, okay, well, my group is, is this kind of skill level base set. And I, I kind of morphed that along the way, which was kind of fun. But, um, and I also was working with the nine tens at the same time. So got to see kind of that transition through, uh, while I was at Excel, I uh, moved upwards to the 13-14s. It was helped, you know, a head age group coach um, kind of morphed into that role slowly, working with all the 14 and under groups, trying to make sure that the continuity was was moving well and, and you know, wanting, wanting to what, what we wanted to see at the senior level. And now for the past year and a half now, I've been the associate head coach and the lead senior coach for our main site in Brentwood. And so I've been working with all the 15 and overs. And so it's been, it's been an interesting journey to kind of um, be a part of a big program like Excel, where when I grew up, um, you know, there was a, we were a really small team, but I had the same coach. For six years, I had the same coach. And so when I first started Excel, it was kind of understanding of the fact of, okay, I'm going to coach these kids for a couple of years, and then they're going to move to a new group. And to understand kind of how that worked and say, yeah, okay, that's, that's the step process. But then, you know, it's been very interesting for me specifically because a lot of these kids, I started with them at, well, they were 11, 12, or 9, 10. And then I was their coach for 13, 14 due to, you know, due to the way the change in scenery and stuff like that. And now that I'm their senior coach, you know, kind of seeing that I've seen, I've got kids in my group now that I have coached in some way, shape, or form for at least five of the six years I've been here. And then also a couple that I've never coached or I've only coached a little bit at time because of kind of way the, the group moves happened and, and their, and their progression through our program. So it's, it's been interesting to say the least to kind of understand how that's been going, but I really have been enjoying it for the, uh, every single day. That's cool. So you, uh, short ride so far, but into associate head coach of a fairly large program. How many, how large are you guys? So we have, we have four, sites um including our main site and we have over 520 swimmers and just before we hit record here you were kind of mentioning you don't have to go over all that again but you actually have a very sizable lesson program as well you also have masters you have some other stuff as well yeah so we also yeah with uh in the in the middle tennessee area we utilize 11 pools from north as high as uh gallatin and as south as columbia um, in Tennessee. So we have our competitive programming, which we use five pools total or six pools. We use six pools for our competitive programming. We have uh, a swim U, which is our non-competitive programming. So it's the step between our lesson program and our competitive team. We, we have that a few of our pools as well. We have obviously lessons, um, ages three all the way up. And we have those in all 11 pools. We have lessons we also help manage the Parks and Rec Summer League programs. So that's seven pools that we have a six-week Summer League program that we run out of. Obviously, right now with the current climate, not sure if Summer League will be happening or not, but, you know, we're just kind of taking that a day at a time. 
And then we also have masters for, you know, adults and we use, and we have masters program at three or four of our pools as well. You mentioned this summer league and this is something that we're thinking about here and obviously nobody knows what's going to happen. Do you think that's going to have an impact in terms of numbers for the team in this next year? Is that something that you guys are considering or looking at? Yeah. So, you know, obviously for us with the influence that we have in terms of, of being able to be at the same facilities that our summer league programs are and having the lesson programs in place and things like that has always been a good boost for us in terms of recruiting, in terms of kids who are interested in swimming and they see, you know, a lot, you know, obviously a lot of summer leagues, the way they work is a lot of our assistant coaches and families are part of those programs. So they all have, you know, they all know Excel and stuff like that, which has been a big benefit for us. And obviously, you know, I think a lot of teams have been thinking prior to this happening, you know, a lot of them have thought, okay, 2020, it's an Olympic year. I'm going to get that Olympic bump because everybody's going to watch swimming and go, Hey, I can swim. I'm going to, I'm going to sign my kid up to swim. Now that that's moved on a year, you know, we always have been seeing a bump from our lesson programs and stuff like that. But as of right now, you know, if it happens or not, we've been trying to think of ways that we can try to get our, our name out there in terms of growth once everything is back to whatever our new normal is. And so, yeah, our staff has been trying to think of ways of figuring that out once we know, you know, exactly what's going to happen and what's, what is, you know, going on. The benefit for our summer league program is that it's only six weeks long. So in a normal summer, we start Memorial Day and we end before the 4th of July. So we don't waste any time. We have four meets. Uh, we have about six, seven weeks in terms of total. And then we, we make sure that our championship program is done before July 4th. So it's really, uh, it's small and concise and short. And so it really helps knowing that, how short it is. If we are able to, we can try to morph it if we need to. And I think that the summer league itself is, is kind of looking at, okay, if we go into July, we have that ability because our normal season doesn't last through the middle of July like most. And so we have that ability to be a little bit more flexible if we can do it. Right. Yeah. If, if at that point, it's, it's still yeah. okay. I think some people have been talking about that, pushing, pushing some things a little later. And I guess the question there is if travel is okay, are people just going to want to go out and travel rather than stick around for swimming? But if travel is not, then maybe that's, that's going to be the answer. But yeah, I, I just, I'm curious because I have been, as you can imagine, as, as I'm sure a lot of people have, I have been in a lot of conversations in terms of like, what's going to happen and right. how, what's the future like? So I think it's just, uh, like I said, we're probably going to weave in and out of uh, what the current situation is during this conversation here. But going back to your path here, you, you did mention a couple of names already. I don't know if you, there are any more names that you would like to add that served as a mentor to you up to this point. Yeah, so, um, you know, like I said, big mentors for me, um, you know, here recently, especially Stephen, you know, Stephen Murray, my head, my, our head coach at Excel has really helped me understand and kind of help learn and, and the process of not only just kind of how Excel, you know, he's been a part of Excel since he was, he was a little kid when, when his team, Watercats, was absorbed with Excel and became Excel Aquatics. Um, he's been a part of the program ever since he was a little kid. And so for him to be the head coach and, and, you know, when he, after he left, went to Indiana and swam and he finished his 
collegiate swimming, he came back and he started coaching immediately. And so he's moved up the ranks in terms of swimmer to, you know, coach, lead coach, head age of coaching, and now head coach role. And to kind of have him kind of help steer the program and really, really focus on the dry side of things and make sure that our program is, we're able to do a lot of the stuff that we want to do has been huge. And to kind of watch him do that has really helped me kind of see swimming from a different perspective. Um, like I said, obviously, Dave Doolin at Lexington Dolphins, you know, giving me a club coaching job and, and helping me see for the first time that you can be a coach and you don't have to work 20 jobs if you get into a good program. Um, when I first started, that was what I was doing a little bit of. I was doing lessons and coaching and working in a swim shop and all this, you know, and coaching high school and summer league and everything, you know, just to kind of just to be able to enjoy what I was doing and, and to coach, which was fun. Um, and then another one is uh, Ben Davis, who's now the head agent coach at Huntsville Swim Association. Ben was at Wildcat Aquatics, formerly Wildcat Aquatics, now Kentucky Aquatics in Lexington, Kentucky. But Ben was on deck while I was at UK and beforehand when I was growing up swimming in the Kentucky LSC. And he's really helped me in terms of steer my direction and kind of help me keep moving forward and kind of learning and, and asking him questions of like, hey, what about this and what about that? And it's been really key. Um, he might tell you otherwise because he tried to give me a he tried to get me set up with a job um, with a team when I was still living in Lexington and I just couldn't do it because I was dumb and had a girlfriend at the time and, and I couldn't live that far away from my mom and dad and so um, yeah and he and he actually is the reason why I got down here to excel in the first place and I he I vividly remember his wording of you better talk to this guy about this job. Otherwise I'm not going to talk to you anymore. So yeah, so he's been a, he's been a, obviously a key, key role for me in terms of, in terms of my swimming coaching. Uh, and do you, besides leaning in on people to learn about the, the ropes of coaching and, and, and the sport, do you have any other resources that you think were important that you have used in terms of uh, books or articles or YouTube channels or things like that that you have used to learn more about coaching and about swimming? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think if you, if you're not, it's obviously, I don't understand how you can't not try to think of ways outside the box to be able to talk to other people or try to find, find something to get a hold of. Obviously, you know, podcasts are a good way to absorb information as you're driving to and from practice or as you're working out or something like that. And so, you know, I've got a, you know, I've listened to a handful of podcasts and stuff like that, you know, obviously checking, you know, some information, you know, obviously Facebook, you take it with a grain of salt, but um, you know, that there's a couple groups that I'm a part of, you know, and just, I mean, you know, for me, for the most part, it's just talking to other people. I think, you know, the best information you can get is people that you trust and people you you see and see how their program is, is going because you can see it on paper and you can see them at bigger, if you go to bigger meets and you can see them and stuff like that and kind of getting their perspective on certain things or trying to figure it out, you know, and, and what's a benefit for us here at Excel is the fact of the matter being how big of a program we are is the amount of coaches that we are able to employ and to try to bounce ideas off them and stuff like that where, <clears throat> at our, you know, just our side alone, we've got, or at our, in our program alone, we've got myself and we've also got three site coordinators. So also coach senior level kids. 
Uh, we've also got Stephen Murray, our head coach. We've got, you know, 13, 14 coaches. We've got Benji DeMott, who's our head injury coach. He's formerly of Nova Swimming in Virginia. Before that, he was with South Carolina Swim Club. And so, you know, we've got coaches who have a wealth of knowledge, not only at our program, but in our area. You know, obviously being in the Nashville area, the, the names Doug Warm and John Morris are synonymous with, with fast swimming. So, you know, having them and being able to talk to them and have a good relationship with NAC for us is, has been a big game changer over the last three or four years now. Yeah, I'm sure. Do you have any podcasts you like to specifically that you have, you like to plug here on? I'm, I'm also, I like podcasts a lot. So if there's any, any one or two that you can think of that, that you really like? Yeah. So I listen to a few, you know, I just kind of try to find who's on, you know, episodes, obviously I think you've had some great guests. Like I said, you know, I'm really good friends with Tony Carroll who's at Lakeside Aquatics or Lakeside Seahawks. And, you know, up there, I think he's great. And like, obviously you've had some couple great guests, but also, you know, Zach Adams uh, outside of Georgia, you know, he's had some good guys on there, like Dan Flack and things like that on, I think it's called the gutter lane, I think is what it's called. That, that does sound familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then also, uh, which is going to sound kind of weird, but I also read college coaches books, not swimming related, but like John Calperi and John Wooden and, and those kind of guys. Um, just to kind of get their idea of like books that they've written and stuff in terms of recruiting and dealing with, uh, you know, high caliber athletes and stuff like that. You know, I read those kind of things and try to try to find that kind of stuff I think is very, you know, in, intriguing to me. Yeah, no, I like that. I think obviously learning about swimming itself is important, but there's so much to learn about just coaching humans. And I, I agree that if you're looking at people that, coach at a high level at any other sport you can probably get a lot of information that that is very helpful so kind of going back along your your path here do you have any what i'd call failure stories that and and really I, i think this question is really set up in a way that you have any particular failure that you can think of where things didn't go according to plan or you executed a plan that that wasn't all that good but that, on the other hand, taught you an important lesson that you think set foundation for future success. Um, yeah, I was, I was trying to think of, you know, obviously trying to think of failures I've had. And I, I mean, I never think that I've to try to think of even in the opposite way of terms of like huge successes and stuff. I'm not really too sure if I could think of something that I thought is like a huge, huge success to me. But I always think that, you know, obviously things can be improvement. But, you know, just trying to think of my in my 10 years of coaching what, you know, in terms of failures in my part, I think a lot of it has to do with relationships and kind of how, how I kind of go about. And, and obviously when I was done competitively swimming, I was finished when I was a senior in in college in 2011. I took a a little bit of a break and then I started training again for 2012 Olympics um, in Omaha, the trials. And, you know, being in Lexington was, was a really, is a small swimming, you know, uh, population. There's a couple teams in town though, but, you know, learning about kind of how to, how to maneuver around and kind of learn about relationships and how they play with one another in terms of, you know, you might not see it in turn as a, as an outsider, if you are on a staff, you know, of, you know, especially Nashville too, where there's multiple teams in the area learning how to maneuver those relationships and, and be able to 
be cordial and, and to be able to extend your hand out and be able to be a good, you know, a good person in general in terms of, you know, sometimes if you're seeing some stuff you don't really understand or seeing some stuff you don't always under, might not agree with in terms of kind of coaching philosophies or styles or things like that. But to understand that, you know, how to maneuver that is something I learned early on as a failure because I did not do any of that. You know, in 2012, I kind of was associating myself with certain things and I was obviously not thinking of the repercussions moving forward and things like that, or not really knowing the history of, of how teams relationships are and stuff like that. And to, and to learn about that kind of the hard way of, you know, being pulled aside and kind of getting reamed out by somebody, you know, being like, you don't really know what you're doing here. You, you need to understand that the picture you're painting is not something that people understand and things like that, I think was really huge to me. And I think it really helped, you know, us as a staff, especially me as, uh, as a coach in Nashville of learning how to manage relationships better. So many times when I have this question, it came, came back to like a similar type of answer in terms of relationships and, and communication and things like that. And I think yeah. that's something that we're all learning how to do better constantly, I think. But yes, definitely when, when things go wrong, you, you can always kind of trace back to something like that. And what would you say was the best career decision you've made up to this point? I think taking this job six years ago, um, it was a whirlwind. What, I mean, it really was where I got a phone call from, from Ben Davis that said, hey, this guy Stephen Murray's going to call you this week. Answer his call, talk to him. I said, okay. And I think it was maybe two hours later, I got a phone call from Stephen. And uh, it wasn't it wasn't too long after that. And he said, hey, can you come down? And I was living in Lexington. So Brent went to, to Lexington, like three, three and a half hours almost. So I said, okay. So I drove down on a Tuesday and met with him and met with him and Shannon Oliver, our business administrator, and uh, sat down and talked to him. And they said, um, you know, and I, it was a good interview. And as I'm driving back, they were like, so when can you start? You know, and in my head, I was like, well, swimming hasn't started yet. And I'm working at the swim shop. And I'm doing kind of some odd end stuff. And I said, um, you know, I think like in a, like two weeks, you know, something like that, two, two and a half weeks. And they said, okay, well, we have evaluations on Monday. Can you come for that? And this was on Tuesday. And I was like, you mean in six days Monday? And they said, yeah. And I said, yeah, I think I could swing that. Let me just try to, you know, figure it out. And so I remember coming on deck on, on that Monday, giving it, handed an Excel shirt and saying, here you go. And I said, what do I do? And they go, put kids on the team. And I said, Got it. And so I did that for three days and, you know, met a lot of people that way and kind of trial by fire almost of, of starting out and it was fun. But, um, but yeah, I think it was definitely the best decision now that I've been here for six years, which is crazy to think is I've been here longer coaching than I was coaching in Lexington um, and kind of my ups and downs in terms of everything I've gone through in the last six years myself personally um you know i think it's definitely molded me into the person i am and helped kind of help me figure out kind of who i am as a human being and, and what i want to do with my life and you said you've been coaching for about 10 years if you could go back in time and give that starting coach 10 years ago some advice what would that be don't worry about the numbers um that's something I learned in terms of, in terms of kind of like fleshing out a, a, a plan. 
uh, for an entire season and stuff like that. And, you know, don't get, you know, don't get lost in the trees. Look at the, look at the big picture kind of style, you know, being at, being with Dave Doolin, I learned a lot of, it's okay if things kind of, if you can kind of roll with a practice and you won't really lose out on what you're trying to get out of it. Um, and there are some days that you do have to just totally go, okay, we'll see what we're doing tomorrow. You know, we're going to try this again tomorrow, something like that. But that's definitely something I, you know, not just 10 years ago, but I would have told myself six years ago when I first started at Excel um, is don't worry about the numbers and, and don't get, don't get so lost in the, in the minute details of what we're doing. Just remember that, you know, if you're in the water, you know, especially right now, if you're in the water, you're already at an advantage, right. you know? And so, you know, just learning how to, and that's something that I think our staff especially has talked about is the amount of articles that are now readily available to families of like, if you have a kid who's, you know, 10, 12 years old and they're just active, they're fine. Don't, don't freak out that you have to buy an endless pool and put it in your backyard, kids. Like families, it's okay. We're, we're moving along pretty well. Yeah, that's pretty good. So when you say don't worry about the numbers, you really mean kind of the numbers uh, practice, in terms of volume and things yeah. like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you know, volume intervals in terms of like trying to hit a certain threshold, trying to hit a certain, you know, interval, trying to, trying to be as best you can be every single day, you know, obviously that's a good, you know, good thing to strive for. But if you're not hitting it, if the kids aren't hitting it, you know, don't think of it like, Oh, no, whole things out. This, we got to just throw everything out. We got to start over. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I, there is one thing that I've been thinking about that I think kind of goes along those lines, which is, and I think it goes back. It, it might be like a Vern Gambetta thing that says like one practice doesn't make an athlete, but one practice can break an athlete. Yeah. And, and uh, it's kind of similar things, kind of what you were saying. It's like, yeah, we've, if today doesn't go according to plan. Whatever we were doing today, whatever the set was, in the grand scheme of things, really doesn't matter as yeah. much as a lot of other things matter a lot more mm -hmm. for the long term, for sure. But I really like that. I really like that. Don't worry about the numbers. Um, switching gears just a little bit, kind of from swimming, if you had to give a presentation or the other option is if you were to teach a college class on any topic other than swimming, what would that be? Yeah. Um, I, you know, that's kind of funny. This is a, this is a good question. I, I don't really have like too many hobbies or anything like that. Um, in terms of what I enjoy, I really, I, I feel like I really enjoy cooking. That's pretty much what I spend my day doing, especially nowadays is like watching other people cook and like learning about stuff and trying to, trying to figure that. So, I mean, you know, I think if I could, I'd be a chef in my other life. I think, you know, even, you know, even as simple as just being a line, a line cook at a, you know, at a restaurant or something like that. I, I think I'd really enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I actually know people that, that did that. And uh, Hugh Convery, my, the head coach here, it's actually was a line cook for a while. It's a, uh, He's a pretty good cook, but I, I can say it's also kind of a brutal job at the same time. Yeah. Uh, do you like any uh, cooking shows or anything like that? or do you... Yeah, so uh, what I really do is, what I really enjoy doing is, like, one of my favorite guys is Alton Brown, and, and also I really like uh, the YouTube channel Bon Appetit. Um, they do a lot. Of, they've, got, they've got, like, 10, 12 guys and girls that are on there better on their programming that they, you know, they do a lot of stuff from scratch. They do a lot of, I mean, they've got, you know, obviously they're quick little snippets and stuff on YouTube, but that's what I really enjoy watching is seeing, you know, they do a lot of different shows of like traditional versus modern or 
how to make this from, from scratch or, you know, all like, you know, the whole spectrum of stuff. So we're able to kind of expand my palate to not just learning how to make mac and cheese and, you know, and <laughs> spaghetti and stuff like that. Um, you know, when I first started coaching, <laughs> I was, I, you know, I'd never, I just now started learning that eating healthy is what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and I, le I learned that like this year. Um, so, uh, in terms of, you know, when I first started, you know, even when I was swimming, I just ate like garbage and I was like, ah, oh, it's fine. I'll just, you know, I'll swim. It's fine. I've been swimming. It's fine. I can do it. And then when I stopped swimming, I was, you know, I, I was still working out some and I was got to that CrossFit craze and like learned how to, you know, was like, oh, Olympic lifting. I like that. I did that in college. I still enjoy that. And then kind of morphing out of not really being a part of the CrossFit phase, but being able to be a, be a part of a gym that, you know, offers Olympic lifting and, and to really hone in on learning that stuff. And, and I was continuing that for a while. And then for the last, until this year, and for the last two and a half, like last two years, last year and a half before this year, um, just said, ah, I'm not going to work out anymore. I'm just going to sit on my butt and eat and just eat garbage. And, you know, and I did and uh, was started to balloon up. And I realized the first issue, I was like, I need to start, I need to do something different. It was taking a toll. Not <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm yeah. And so it kind of funny is, you know, obviously with this quarantine, everybody posts all kinds of, you know, pictures and stuff of like, you know, like, Oh yeah, I get tagged in this, do push ups or, you know, coaches challenge and things. So I got tagged in that coaches challenge. And so I'm going finding pictures of myself and I'm going like, I got, I was fat. I was fat a lot. I was, you know, I was like, <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and one of my buddies even said, he goes, dude, like some of your pictures, you're kind of like, you're like, you've lost a lot of weight. Like, so I was like, yeah, I was, I didn't, I just ate like crap. I, like, you know, I mean, like I didn't understand, you know, like, if I, I mean, like I understood, but I mean, you know, you just, I was like, ah, it's fine. I'll, oh, it's fine. I've been working out, you know, you know, but I mean, yeah, I mean, to be, uh, you know, to be in, to try to be in actually good shape and not, not hurt. You know, I live on the third floor of my condo, you know, like first year of living here, I was like the first going up those three flights of steps. I was like, oh, that was, that was, that was hard. You know, walking my dog, I was like, you know, thinking I need to build a contraption out on my patio that he can just use the bathroom out there and not have to go up and down the steps so much. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're uh, just curiosity here. You're uh, mentioning CrossFit. You're in, in right, right close to Muffersboro, I think. I'm thinking that's where Rich Groening lives. Uh, you know, if, if you were into CrossFit. He lives in Cookville. Yeah, he lives in Cookville. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Cookville's between Nashville and Knoxville. Okay. And he's yeah. obviously, you know, he's the he's the OG guy. And, and, and he does. And, you know, and, and to definitely say this area is definitely has the CrossFit craze, which is great. But what this area definitely does is, you know, in terms of partnerships with, with Rich, he – they do all kinds of competitions that do benefits to charity and, and all kinds of stuff. So they really take, Rich is really, I think Rich Roning has really taken the right steps in terms of being an ambassador to things like that and really putting together really good and quality competitions that help benefit the communities a lot. And, you know, and before this quarantine happened, a lot of the local area gyms get, were getting together um, you know, obviously, I don't know if you heard or not, but, you know, there's a pretty bad tornado that ripped through Nashville at the beginning of March. And a lot of those gyms and, and Rich Froning was the face of it, of putting together 
sponsor drives and things like that and getting money together and stuff, you know, along with a lot of companies and programs around the area. But yeah, speaking specifically of in terms of kind of where my finger is on the pulse at, you know, hearing that kind of stuff is kind of noticed. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I have a couple of friends that are good friends of him. He seems to be a pretty stand up guy and, and obviously a fantastic athlete as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty impressive. And, and by the way, we're going to, we're going to, now we're going to be waiting for the master class on cooking from, from Colin Ferris. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, I, I really like that. I mean, I, I'm actually going to check that YouTube channel as well. Cause I just, just learning how, how to do more stuff. And I agree that I think, once you, I'm probably not nearly as into cooking as you are, but once you learn how to start learning a little bit and, and learning how to make a couple of things here and there, to me nowadays eating healthy is just like, I, it's a no brainer, Yeah. but, but it takes a while to mm -hmm. like, just have that, that pattern versus just getting fast food. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, like I said, when I was living in Lexington, I would wake up and I would, I would either have to I was driving to Danville, which was about like 45 minutes away and, and running a, a, a site, a satellite practice in the morning, coming back home for maybe 20 minutes, you know, making breakfast, going to the swim shop, working there for a few hours, you know, taking care of deliveries and stuff like that there. Going to practice, being on deck from about 3.30 to about 9 o'clock at night. Coaching groups, high, uh, including high school at the very end of it all. And then going home and, you know, and I was just like, it's nine o'clock. I got to get up at five, five forty-five, and the next morning I'll be like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get McDonald's today, you know, or you know, because I mean, you know, you don't want to cook and stuff like that. And so, yeah, especially this year, really learning how to meal prep and and actually take a couple hours on a Sunday and you know during my free day and cook a bunch of stuff up and you know and not just have just you know not just do just green beans, you know and but actually learning how to cook, you know, something nice, you know, a good stir fry or something like that, or buying a bunch of different spices and actually making your own taco seasoning instead of just buying, you know, the high sodium packets that you can buy from uh, Frito-Lay or whoever. I don't even know. <laughs> but yeah. That's cool. And so do you, on a, on a regular day-to-day -day basis, would you have a, a routine to your days? Yeah. So for the most part, um, in terms of my routine, I would wake up and I would make breakfast or something like that, be up for a little while and then go work out. Um, usually I'd go work out in the middle of the day, about 10, 30, 11 o'clock, spend about an hour, you know, just totally ignoring my phone and, and being away from the computer and stuff like that. And, uh, and really just kind of letting my, my mind reset for the day. And then, you know, obviously get back, make lunch and then really spend, that time from like lunchtime until practice starts really just making sure that I've got everything done in terms of, you know, answering emails and stuff for the day or making sure that the workout's written and stuff like that before, and then just being on deck and then running my two groups and then, um, and then going home. And then, you know, after getting home and making dinner, you know, spend another hour after making dinner or so answering some emails and stuff like that, or sending something out for the next morning or, you know, that next week or whatever. And then, you know, just kind of, you know, unplugging and then just kind of just vegging out on the couch for a little bit and then going to bed. All right. And you, you mentioned kind of your morning routine. Do you, do your groups not have any morning practices? Um, some do. Yeah. So uh, I was running my high school team that I coach ran two mornings a week. And then our, our, uh, our, my club group, my senior group, we do two mornings a week of dry land. So we don't do any water 
Uh, we don't do any any water workouts in the morning, but we do our doubles are in the mornings. We spend a good hour of, in dry land of doing uh, being able to utilize our the weight room that's associated with our facility and stuff like that. So Stephen and I uh, alternated running that, <clears throat> and uh, and we both helped kind of co collaborate and write out our dry land program for the entire season uh, this past year, and uh, really worked on you know. And so we would alternate who would run what. So that we both weren't there both mornings or, you know, and things like that. So it kind of helped out. Okay. And you, I guess you use the, the weight room in the morning mostly because you wouldn't have access to it in, in the afternoon or evening. Um, it wasn't necessarily, it was just the way we kind of, the way we kind of laid everything out. The mornings were definitely a lot lighter in terms of, uh, in terms of use by our, by the patrons of the County and stuff like that. And in the afternoons, the only dry land time we have kind of sectioned off is 30 minutes worth. And we try to start pretty close to after once school lets out, we try to start pretty close to that time. So we weren't really given a whole lot of wiggle room in terms of letting kids get there and stuff like that. And definitely in the afternoons, it was definitely the, the weight room in itself was definitely always packed, right. um, you know, with people getting off work and, and parents of our, of our group, of our kids who were coming in working out during their kids practice time. So. Okay. And how do you, I guess you mentioned something about workouts already, but how do you go about writing workouts? And two questions there. It, one is, do you have, write them ahead of time or do you write them on a daily basis? And question number two would be, do you use a notepad? Are you a software guy or, or where do you write it on? Yeah, so um, this past year, uh, in general, you know, I told you kind of my, you know, don't worry about the numbers kind of thing. Um, in general, you know, I, I would spend a good amount of time flushing out that season plan um, prior to the season starting. But in terms of daily workouts, I usually, for the most part, I'd write them the day of. Um, this past year, through this, through including the summer prior, the summer season, this past summer season through this past short course season, I kind of took a different approach in terms of kind of how the week was laid out. Um, Prior to that, I was really focused, again, you know, kind of looking at numbers in terms of growth and, and building through the week in terms of starting at a certain number, you know, and, and statically increasing that yardage throughout the week where Saturday was the, you know, the mother load number. Um, and so this past two seasons, I, I've taken it a different approach of Mondays, we're going to break out into groups. We're going to have a sprint group. So we have three coaches on Mondays for our senior group. So we're going to have a distance set, a stroke set, and a sprint set. Tuesdays, we're going to all be together, so we're going to write an IM set. Wednesdays, we're going to uh, alternate. We're going to write like a test set that we've got from a buddy of ours or, you know, something that, you know, we know from our college swimming days, you know, something that'll really test the kids in terms of, you know, not just aerobic capacity or anaerobic capacity, but just like mental toughness too sometimes of just like something just outrageous to just try to see if they can handle it. You know, Thursdays, we always did equipment. Fridays was recovery and then Saturdays was something fast off the blocks. So with that in mind, with that kind of layout in mind, it was a lot easier to, you know, not spend a whole lot of time of, of writing too much, but then at the same time, making sure that, you know, only needing to, you know, write that day of, because I knew, yeah, I know it's Monday and I'm writing the stroke set. So I just got to take care of warm up and, and the, and the preset. And then I've got to write my little stroke set and I'm going to write like 200 speed or something like that. Okay. So um, we, we've been doing that. And so it made it a lot easier to kind of write, you know, almost daily and not feel like I have to try to 
write everything on a Sunday or something like that prior to, because I had a lot of extra time and while I was answering emails and stuff during the day. Yeah. I, um, talked to a couple of people lately that have this kind of like week setup and I, I honestly never did before, but I think it, it doesn't make a lot of sense once I start talking to people. It's like, yeah, that seems like it makes life a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. Um, and do you, so do you write them on a notepad? Do you write, do you use software at all? Yeah. So for the last three years now, I've got, I've been using Microsoft Excel. And, okay. um, and so I've got everything saved in that, in my cloud up wherever it is. I don't know, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I've got a lot of my workouts I've been using before that for the first five, six years of my career, I'd write everything in a notebook. I'd buy a notebook from Walmart and I'd write everything out in a notebook. And then, um, and even when I first started Excel, I had a notebook and the kids definitely did not like the notebook at all. They would, they definitely were like, that notebook's terrible because I had some pretty good notes and stuff like that in it, but some pretty good sets. Um, I still have those notebooks there. They're in my, they're on my bookshelf and I still pop them out every once in a while just to try to get some ideas of some good sets that I've written or something like that. But yeah, um, I write the entire week in one Excel spreadsheet or one Excel file. So I've got every day's got a page in my Excel spreadsheet. Um, and I've got it all written out and I print out, print out a workout. I don't print out a workout for every kid. I make the kids listen and actually pay attention when we're trying to explain what's going on. Um, but I do print off a couple copies for coaches to make sure that they, they can help kind of follow along and read everything. Okay. So I'm guessing on Excel, you just use like the same template every time or. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've got a template. Yeah. I've got a short course template and a long course template in terms of days that are already broken out and like doubles and things like that. And then, um, in terms of the tabs and everything. And then, yeah, I, I write it all the same way. It's headers, the the group name and then the warm-up set is a certain number of lines and then the presets a certain number of lines and then the main set and stuff like that and then like any added sets or anything like that <clears throat> i've got room for to save but i don't usually print them out i usually let the whoever coaches whoever's coaching usually will send it to me or whatever's going on and that's kind of how i that's the template i use but it's pretty generic it's pretty simple i don't um i still haven't figured out how to use excel to my benefit in terms of adding up the yardage um, I haven't been like that creative in terms of like setting up all the, the tiles and figuring out like, you know, things like that. But, um, you know, other than that, yeah, it's pretty simple. Yeah. I know a couple of people that use Excel spreadsheets and I think there's definitely a way to use it to like calculate everything you wanted to calculate. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think it makes the writing a little wonky there if you're, if you're doing that. And so I'm not sure there, there would be a trade off there. And the, the one thing that I, so I used to be between notepad and I I used to use a word and then a couple years back went to using software. And the main reason I went for software is because even though I was doing a lot of math to kind of try to figure out the time that I had in the workout, I, I tended to overwrite. And, Mm -hmm. And then, so what happened is I get to the last 15 minutes of practice and realize that I have. 45 minutes written and it's like, oh, now. Oh, yeah. So do you have any way that you make sure that you're really like within your time boundaries? Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of weird to say, but like for me, I feel that when I write something out, I can kind of see it and know like if the interval I've written and the amount of things that I've written out, I kind of know based on the intervals I've written in terms of the, the chunk of set that I've written out, the, the, the yardage, I can kind of, 
pinpoint it to a way of knowing already of like, oh, I wrote a 2,000 yard intervals or a threshold set that's, you know, holding like, like on a 120, 125 base or something like that. I can kind of go, okay, I know how long it's going to take me, like 35 minutes or something like that. But, um, you know, mm-hmm. not, that's something that I've really realized the last year and a half or so of just kind of becoming second nature of knowing how long a set's going to take the group that I've written and stuff like that and not feeling like I'm overwriting. Cause I haven't really, I definitely have not overwritten in a, at least a year, but maybe I should try to overwrite and try to get more yardage. And I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a, a mixed feeling that. Cause yeah, maybe you get more yardage, but oftentimes you get to that end of practice and be like, Oh man, like I really didn't get to the main point that I wanted to get. And now yeah. it's too late. Uh, but yeah, I, and I think honestly, in my case, it might just be that once I switched to software, I also started doing a better job accounting for the, the time that the kids are going to force me to. And I don't call it's wasted time, but it's not really wasted because it's all those interactions we were talking about. Mm-hmm. I, think I, I was essentially writing like an hour 45 of movement for an hour 45 practice and going like, yeah, this is not ever going to happen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, uh, uh, switching, switching gears a little bit. Do you do any uh, hiring? Do you do any hire for assistant coaches nowadays? Uh, yeah, so I hire the, I'm the summer league uh, liaison in terms of kind of our, our parks and rec team. So I'm the one who's taking care of, you know, hiring the main coaches and the main coaches are hiring their assistant coaches and things like that and trying to find a fit for our, you know, uh, those seven programs that we've got. So yeah, I am doing a little bit of hiring and things like that. Um, in terms of kind of in my role here at Excel. Okay. So the question, I guess that would be a little different than, than hiring, for example, for example, a full-time coach to come on board, but still, how do you go about finding that? And I've been asking this question. I think almost everybody that I talked about was like, yeah, it's, sometimes it's really hard to find coaches. Like you can find people to put on your team, but it's not the same thing. So do you yeah. have? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was, I was definitely, I was trying to help. I was helping Steven and our, business administration staff uh, find our site coordinator for Gallatin, which was, we ended up hiring JJ Langhalls, who uh, was internally one of our assistant coaches who's done a great job the last two and a half years. Um, But yeah, in terms of finding coaches, you know, a lot of it, you know, I was actually talking to Tony about this a couple days ago. We were on the phone. We did a phone call with him and Corey Pierce, his other coach that he works with um, up at Lakeside. We were, the three of us were talking about, finding jobs and kind of finding people a lot of times is just word of mouth. You know, a lot of times is, Hey, I got, I've got a job. Do you know anybody? Hey, will you, you know, throw it out there and Hey, will you, you know, the swim swam board of jobs is great and all the NCAA. If you're looking for a college job is great and all if, you know, ask us, I know got a job board, you know, people peruse that and stuff and, you know, seeing a headline that maybe catches your eye, a team name or something like that. But, a lot of times, like I said, it kind of feels like it's almost the word of mouth is the best way to do it in terms of, you know, reaching out to your buddies that you've got and saying, hey, send in a quick text of looking for a coach, know anybody or anything like that. So um, I definitely I do agree. I think it is tough sometimes to to find quality coaches outside of, of doing something like that. Right. Yeah. I'm also thinking about what your experience being hired for Excel was from what you shared here is somebody called you and say, Hey, he's going to call you. So yeah. definitely that's the way it happened. Right. It's not like, you yeah, know, they, they put up a job ad. Yeah. I mean, they had a job they had, I mean, they had, they had a job uh, posting. I do know that. And, it, and they sent it to me when I was first talking to them and stuff, just so I can get an idea of what's, 
of what's going on and stuff. But yeah, I mean, to me, it always seems like, you know, you're on deck and it's championship time and, you know, you get, you, somebody walks up to you and he goes, Hey, next, you know, in the next month I'm losing this guy, you know, anybody, or, Hey, I'm losing this gal or something like that. You know, like, do you know anyone, you know, and things like that uh, is what I've seen. Not only I feel like works well, but, you know, it gives you a good idea because, you know, you're going to trust somebody that you're asking out outright of like, Hey, do you know anybody? Like, do you recommend somebody or something like that? Yeah. You're probably going to get in terms of trusting and, and knowing who you're getting, you're going to get more out of that than what you get just out of putting yeah. a job on a job board. The follow-up question that I have there is if, if somebody reaches out to you, for example, and say, Hey, do you know anybody? How do you feel about kind of offering quote unquote, one of your, one of your coaches? Like, is there something that depending on what the position is and understanding what your coach would be moving into or because that, that's the thing I feel like if finding good coaches is, is hard, people are probably going to be reluctant about offering people. In, in your case, it was somebody that you were not coaching with at the time, right? That, Oh yeah. 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 Um, I think it depends on the opportunity a hundred percent. I think a lot of times, you know, you're obviously not going to offer somebody something that's equal or lesser than what they're doing now in terms right. of, you know, in terms of experience and what you know, you know, you can kind of, you know, you don't have to directly ask those kind of questions of like, how much is it going to pay or anything like that? You can kind of, I think a lot of times people can kind of figure that out for the most part, you know, knowing the size of the team, knowing the area that they're in, you know, things like that. So a lot of times, you know, ahead of time, of you know, you know, in your head, you, you go, yeah, let me think about it for a second. And you might know a couple of, you know, part-time guys or gals that you've got on your staff that go, Hey, I'm, you know, I'd like to, you know, move forward. I'd like to try to figure something out. And I think, and that's kind of the benefit of a program like us where the size of our company in and of itself, we've got more than just a couple guys and girls on our staff. We've got a lot of part-time people who are something, you know, who sometimes want to say, Hey, I want to, I want more, or Hey, you know, I'd like, you know, another opportunity or something like that. So it helps, it helps kind of knowing that in the back of your head when you're, being approached by other teams of, Hey, I'm looking for somebody. Who do you think? Okay. And do you, I'm guessing when, when you guys bring somebody into your club, I guess you, you again shared what your welcome was and, and how they, they onboarded you. It's, here's a shirt with kids yeah. on the team. Is that still kind of the, the normal approach? Or oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not. No. Um, you know, uh, in terms of that summer or that, that short course following that summer, there was a big, um, there was a big change that had happened at Excel Quads in terms of staff and, and things like that. And so they were hired, uh, Steven hired a bunch of people brand new that year. He hired, I think there were six of us that got hired um, in terms of full-time and part-time staff. And so that was a, uh, yeah, we haven't done that ever since then. We, I think I was, I think, and I think, honestly, I think I was the only one that that happened to. I think everyone else was like, already lived in the area or lived kind of close. I was the only one who like drove in from like Lexington that day. And I was like, just drove three hours. Can I have like a break? Nope. Here's a shirt. Here's a shirt. <laughs> um, I think that was, I think I was the only one who that got treated to us. So, um, so I really appreciate that, but you know, <laughs> um, no, yeah. Uh, you know, nowadays, especially nowadays, it's, it's, it's a lot more making sure that we've got the right person for the job and, and making sure that the kids are taken care of in terms of, of a staff standpoint and knowing, you know, that they've got 
you know, the, the coaching coverage and things like that that they need prior to or anything like that. And is there, when, when you're bringing people in, is there anything that, I guess the real question is, is there any article or book or anything that you kind of point everybody and say, hey, this is kind of like, almost like a required reading for, for being a part of our program or is there anything that, that you do like that or is it more about just talking about the team? Um, yeah, no, it's, we don't really have a, we don't have anything in terms of like, this is our mantra. You need to like learn it by heart or anything like that. Yeah. But I think that's kind of, you know, in terms of, for me, uh, how I feel is a good, I think that's why we work so well being as big as we are and how many sites we've got. Um, we really give coaches the autonomy to really focus in and kind of play to their strengths versus trying to put them into some cookie cutter form or some method of training or things like that. Now, you know, obviously if a kid comes to our main site, we want to make sure that if a kid's visiting or like comes to Brentwood for, you know, or goes to Nashville for something going on as they're coming home, they want to stop by a practice. That's totally fine. Or um, in the summertime, we have very limited long course space. We've got a couple pools, but not as many short course pools as there are in the area. So um, we get a lot of, a lot of other site kids come into the main site for long course practices and things like that. So in terms of kind of our overall kind of group philosophies and coaches and stuff, I think we're pretty open to explaining kind of how we are and where we stand. But if you're at a site working with your site coordinator specifically in terms of kind of what you want to see out of the program is not going to be, it's going to be pretty similar to what, you know, every site's looking at, but you know, we might just get to it in a different way. And, I, and like I said, I think that's one benefit for Excel. I think that helps us is we're not trying to micromanage anybody. We're not trying to tell them you have to be in a certain path or a certain, you know, method, methodology or anything like that. All right. And let's say you were in charge of your entire staff. This is the kind of find the sky question is if you had unlimited money to spend on staff development, for your staff, where, where do you think you would put that money? I think I would put that money towards, especially right now, towards technology. Um, giving the ability, you know, giving everybody the opportunity, getting GoPros, getting computers, getting laptops, getting, or, you know, getting iPads, getting that kind of technology and getting it set up, you know, getting TVs and, and having the last, you know, the benefit for us is we manage, like I said, we manage a couple Summer league teams. Well, the summer league, the summer league itself started using Meet Central. Well, formerly Meet Central, now Swimming League. It's that that uh, online iPad software of using phones as timers and stuff like that. Charlie Houchin and, and Hayes Johnson, they're the ones who head that company up. And it's great um, in terms of cutting down on needs for watches and pens and pencils and all that stuff for running a dual meet. Um, but, you know, we had to get iPads for all of our teams and they're only going to be use them six weeks out of the year. <laughs> so the remaining 40, 43 weeks, 42 weeks, however many it is, our club teams are going to use them. So every site now gets to, has its iPad, you know, eight, nine months out of the year where they get to, you know, utilize it to their advantage where we can film kids and pull them out and show them kind of what's going on. And it really has helped us in terms of, I think that was a big step that we started, um, couple years ago that I think has really helped us a lot that obviously you know sometimes reusing it again is going to help you know kind of re revitalize that but um yeah I think definitely technology 
would be my ideal answer. All right. Um, so somewhat of switching, switching gears, but one of the, the topics that I, I like covering here as well is some of the challenges of the, the coaching profession. And, and in this conversation, you kind of mentioned some things like when you were first coaching, you were coaching and working a couple other jobs to supplement income. And you were, were going from early in the morning until late at night with very little time in between. And I think it's obviously the, the most of the conversation is about our, our love and passion for the sport of swimming and for coaching. But I do think it's important for coaches to have this conversation about some of the challenges of the coaching as a professional as well. And, and hopefully also talk about ways to mitigate it and ways to keep people in the profession. I basically, I've seen some people, some good coaches walk away a lot of times because of those challenges. But yeah. so I guess the, the question is, do you have any further comments in terms of this kind of the, the hardships of coaching as a profession? And do you have anything that you think could, any tips you, you think could help coaches and keep coaches in the profession? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think in my early years, especially, you know, trying to balance, trying to figure out for me personally, when I was, when I was starting, like I said, I was working at the swim shop, I was coaching high school and summer league. And I was, you know, running, I was running one of the, of the satellite we had started in Danville um, when I was living in Lexington. So I was doing a lot of, I was doing a lot of stuff just to be able to enjoy the four or five hours I was on deck. And I was working, you know, early in the morning, all the way until about nine o'clock at night, going home, passing out, doing it all again the very next day. Um, and I think if I knew, I think I always kind of thought it was going to be, I could do it. Um, but knowing that there were programs like that I'm at now, or even, you know, you know, there are even smaller programs that are out there that do a good job of finding, you know, fi finding ways to be able to hire full-time coaches, not just have a part-time coach or something like that um, in terms of, of salary and things. And I think I didn't really think of that because when I first started coaching, even when I was doing lessons and stuff, I was at the YMCA and growing up, I swam for a YMCA. So my, my coach was the program director. You know, she had three or four hats in order to supplement being a swim coach and being, having a full-time job working for the YMCA. And our YMCA was not very big either. So she was program director, you know, supervisor, things like that in order to compile together a full-time job with the YMCA and things like that. So when I was growing up swimming, even until I got fit, even until I finished, you know, my brain was, when I finished swimming as an athlete, I think my brain kind of gravitated towards, well, if you want to be a full-time coach, you have to be a college coach. Like there's no, you know, no team can, you know, pay for somebody to like, you know, in my head, I was like, you got to do like three or four gigs. So, um, you know, as I kind of learned and when I, when I joined Dolphins and kind of saw what Dave did and what Philip did and things like that when I first started and understanding that, no, club teams can actually support coaches. And that was kind of my first – my eyes were finally opened up to it of I could, I could find a program, you know, somewhere down the line. And so what I'm doing now is I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to just keep chugging along because I know eventually it's going to pay off for me. And I think – um, I think in terms of knowing that ahead of time, you know, not every coach has, not every kid growing up swims on a big, big team or anything like that, or has, or sees that kind of structure ahead of time. So kind of knowing that that opportunity is there, if you 
if you if you wait for it or if you can work hard enough towards it, it's it's definitely viable. Okay. So I only have a couple more questions before we wrap up here. And uh, one of them would be if you could pick three skills or qualities, and this can be swimming related or not, that you would like to, you would like all the kids that go to your program to have by the time they're done, what would those be? Uh, definitely streamlines underwater work for <laughs> sure. Um, I'm not, I, I'm terrible at teaching streamlines I, and I'm terrible at underwater work. I was a 50 freestyler. So I spent like two seconds underwater. I started swimming. So, uh, I'm very fortunate and our group, our, our team as a whole is very fortunate to have Stephen Murray, who is, uh, as our head coach, because, you know, he's a 400 IMer and a 200 IMer at, uh, at Indiana. And he was, I mean, he has, I mean, he still has great underwater. So, I mean, giving him the opportunity and, and, and I wish, I wish that we could, you know, I wish that coaches, I, you know, I say this a lot to myself is I really need to, to put more time in to do streamlines, not just like three weeks before me. <laughs> and, you know, we talk about starts and turns and, you know, and stuff. And, you know, the, the go-to, the default answer is I want to work on turns and the default answer for a coach is you do a hundred turns in practice. Why don't you, you know, focus on them then? And so I think this last year and a half in terms of kind of my shift from thinking about how numbers work versus just general ideas of the day um, has really kind of turned my head in terms of thinking about, yeah, we could spend a little bit of time on starts. Like, Hey, let's on Fridays during recovery, when we're done, I'm going to spend, we're got 20 minutes before uh, now that before practice is over, you guys can go home now or you can work on starts, you know, giving them that opportunity of if you want to work on it, it's going to be there. Otherwise you can go home early on a Friday, you know, go to a football game or, you know, or a basketball game or something like that. Um, you know, working on turns and things like that. I think, um, I wish, obviously, I think every coach wishes they had unlimited time in the water <laughs> to be able to say, yeah, we can get a two hour workout on and then we can work like an hour and a half on starts, you know, or something like, you know, something crazy, but definitely streamlines on our waters. Um, definitely um, also trying to think of, I don't know how to, how to word it, but just being a good sportsman, you know, uh, you know, just kind of understanding how it all works and, you know, knowing that you need to be a good person in the end of the day. Like, don't think like, you know, that's great that you can swim faster. It's great that you made your time and stuff like that. But you got to remember that if you're wearing an Excel shirt while you're at the supermarket, families are going to notice that being a coach and being and having my face out there while I'm at meets and while I'm at summer leagues, summer league, you know, dual meets and things like that and meeting families like I could, I could be at a restaurant and people are going to recognize me now. Like, like some families are going to go, Oh yeah, I met that guy or, you know, or so-and-so just, you know, making sure that you're holding yourself to as high of a standard as you'd like to see and, and making sure that you're, you know, representing yourself in the best light, I think is a big thing to me. And then I think lastly would be just not breathing in and out of your walls. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure as a 50 freestyler, you feel that way. I'm not sure your distance swimmer feel the same. Oh, yeah, I think, I think you're definitely right, for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, all right. So last, effectively, the last question that I ask everybody is, what is the most important thing people should know about you? About me? Oh, man. Um, 
I think, I think just, you know, I try to be, I, I try not to, you know, be too judgy or anything like that, but just be, just be open with me about, you know, if, if you can be open with me about how things are going and things like that, I, I'm going to treat you a lot better than if I'm hearing something else, you know, or, or you're not telling me how you feel or anything like that. I, I think really being a coach in the last 10 years has really opened up my, my eyes of, of giving people the opportunity to talk and be communicative, you know, not just trying to lead the conversation, you know, obviously in a format like this, you know, how you're running this, you know, I'm not, I'm the one talking the whole time, you know, you ask a question <laughs> and then I'm, and then I'm talking. So, um, you know, and as a coach, I think a lot of times, you know, coaches in general, I think kind of get to that, that place where they're like, I'm talking a lot, you know, I'm the one telling them what to do and I'm telling them what they need to work on and, and things like that. But, you know, really making sure that opening it up on the other side and saying, okay, Hey, this is what I'm saying. Do you understand? Do you have any questions? Like, what are you feeling? What are you doing? And things like that, I think has really helped me kind of figure out like just in life in general, just like, trying to talk, trying to listen more. Right. Yeah. Very, uh, very important skill and still underappreciated, I think. Yeah. Uh, that's a good one. All right. So uh, thank you again for taking the time. I think yeah. it's been really good. I think everybody listening has gotten a ton of good information and good snippets uh, all over the, the conversation. And the, would you have any closing thoughts? And the other thing is, I don't know if you like, it's up to you if you want to leave it up there, but if you want, people want to get in touch and ask more questions, if you want to leave some contact information. So closing thoughts and any way for people to get in touch, if you like. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of thoughts and stuff, I, I, you know, I just hope that returning to the new normal that we're about to have, trying to understand kind of what that entails and stuff. I just, you know, I hope, you know, and myself included, I hope that I have the foresight ahead of time to know, like, it's going to take a while. It's going to, having patience and things like that knowing it's not going to be like, like it's never going to be like it was. It's, I mean, I don't think at least. So in terms of moving forward in terms like that, knowing what's happening and, and knowing ahead of time of how you want to be, just be ready for, just be ready for anything and be ready for anything, especially after this whole thing has started. I mean, kind of understanding I'm like, in my head, I'm laughing because when I first started living alone, I was like, I never want to live with a roommate again. Like, it's terrible. Like I like living by myself. After this, I really want to live with somebody, right? Now. Like, I really need, I really need human interaction. Like I'm, I'm like, oh man, I need, I need people to, to bounce ideas off of just to see like their human face. Like, right. Your they they might drive you. I, I can, so <laughs> my roommates are never going to listen to this, but they drive me crazy most of the time, but I'm really glad I have them. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, that's the, I mean, like, I'm like, man, I really don't, I'm like, man, I really wish. But yeah. Um, I have, you know, I, in terms of, you know, asking questions and stuff, obviously, um, email is obviously easiest for me. Um, and that's coach Colin at excelaquatics.org. And you can go to our website, excelaquatics.org, and you can click on coaches and it's, it's up there. It should be under Brentwood. But, um, yeah, in terms of, you know, I have Twitter, but I don't check it all the time. I have Instagram. I'd hardly post anything, but, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it e email is probably the easiest if you've got questions and stuff. All right. Yeah. Thanks again, Colin. I really appreciate it. Uh, and yeah. let's uh, hope everything turns out good for pretty soon here. Yes, to, definitely. Some, some sort of normal. Yes, definitely. Thank you for having me, Lucas. I appreciate it. And that was it for another episode of the Swim Coaching Transit Podcast. 
as always, thanks for listening. And if you made it to the end, I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy this, please take a few seconds to give this podcast five stars or a positive review on whatever podcast player you use. And if you like to hear more shows like this, go ahead and subscribe. Once again, I'd like to thank Colin for taking the time for this long interview. I hope we can get him down to Georgia for next year's camp, and maybe we'll even have him share his cooking skills with us. But for now, this was a great way to learn from and about him. Remember to check out the show notes on my blog, swimcoachintransit.com. That's swimcoachintransit, all spelled out together in lowercase with no dashes or special characters. There you can always find links to books, websites, and all other resources we talked about. And there were plenty of resources from this conversation. And thanks as always to my good friend Madhu for the soundtrack to this podcast. You can also find his Instagram info in the show notes. And also thanks to Zapslat for the sound effects. And that's it. Thanks again, and I hope you catch the next one.